0: Eagles
1: Entertainment. Anything that moves, I will get hold of him. Let's move. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It. It's boarded time. It's boarded time. Let's go. Touchdown!
0: You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Bran Duffy.
2: That's right, another week, and we're getting you ready for the first divisional matchup of the year as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 411. At the top of today's show, we've got 3 and Out, where I chat with my friend Chris McPherson and take a look at the state of the Eagles, just a couple of days removed from Monday night's win over the Minnesota Vikings. What are the big topics surrounding this team right now? C-Mac and I dive in right at the top of the show. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennel and I, we're going to take a look at this Eagles uh, matchup here their first NFC East battle in 2022, just through the scope of our show, Eagles Game Plan, that we produce on a weekly basis for Eagles Entertainment, all with the goal of getting you ready for the upcoming matchup. Then to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with one of the most preeminent voices covering this Washington Commanders team. That's Ben Standing. He's one of the best beat writers in the NFL. Does an outstanding job covering the Commanders for the Athletic. We will dive into this matchup with Ben there and get into the enemy's point of view going into Sunday afternoon. Before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, leave it there in the comment box. We will answer it here on an upcoming episode. Also, while you're uh, looking out, checking out different podcasts, be sure to subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Really excited about what we have coming up this week. We already broke down week three in college football. One of the best quarterbacks in the country stood out. An electric wide receiver in the SEC stood out. We broke it all down over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, go make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. Now, uh, that all said, excited to, uh, to welcome in Chris McPherson. It's time now to go three and out. How about this for a start?
1: They've got him again! What a defensive stop! Slay second pick of the game! Oh, I'm going to have to call
3: him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three, and out. All
2: right, well, excited to kick this podcast off with my friend Chris McPherson and C-Mac. Uh, a lot to get to, obviously. it's It's unfortunate that with the short week, that Greg and I had to have like an abbreviated episode earlier this week because I feel like there was so much to chew on. We left a lot of meat on the bone, uh, so I have plenty that I want okay, to hear here in, in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, so, with that in mind, we've got uh, we've got three
4: topics you want us to hit on. Uh, what's number one? I, I feel like I could go like. Myriad directions here. There's so many great things to talk about coming off the win and looking ahead to Sunday's first NFC showdown against Carson Wentz and the Washington Commanders. I think Carson Wentz will be one of the topics we touch on, but I do want to start with Jalen Hurts, the magnificent performance he had Monday night, 390 total yards, three touchdowns. So week one, Detroit, they brought the Blitz, 22 Blitzes total, second most in the league in week one. Dared him to be in with his feet. He did so, as well as the great connection he had with A.J. Brown. Well, week two, the Vikings didn't bring the blitz as much. They kind of dared him to say, we're going to drop our guys back in coverage, and zone. We need you to find the holes, beast, us with your arm. And we saw a masterful performance by number one. So, what is the game plan going to be for the Washington Commanders? Let's look at what the Commanders have done. In sure. week one, they faced Trevor Lawrence. They blitzed him 17 times. They were very aggressive, getting after him, got him off his game, come out with the week one victory. So week two, they have Jared Goff, and you say, okay, well, if they were that aggressive, what are they going to do against a veteran? They actually blitzed him just a few times more, nine times total, than what Jalen Hurts was blitzed six times on Monday night against the Vikings. They took a more passive approach, Okay. Lions, you know, prevailed, got the victory uh, at home against Washington. So what are we going to see from the Commanders? They've shown they can do both. They have a tremendous defensive line. You know, no Chase Young yet, but Montez Sweat has stepped up. Four quarterback pressures on the season. He's evolved. You know, it's all those former first-round picks, you know, Jonathan Allen, De'Ron Payne, very, very talented front line there for the Commanders. What are they going to rely upon? But what's great about Jalen Hurts is, We've seen him beat teams with his legs. Okay, he's 10th in the league in rushing yards. Not amongst quarterbacks, 10th period in the league in rushing yards at this point with three touchdowns, and he's shown he can win with his arm and with his eyes. So that was the first point I brought up. We've seen two different approaches to attacking Jalen Hurts. Hurts has won both ways. What will the commanders, now that they've seen all this on tape. And this is what's gonna be interesting. The punch, counter punch. What are the commanders gonna throw at them?
2: It's certainly something I'm sure we'll talk about with Ben Standing at the end of the show, and I'm fascinated to see what his take is on that subject. I think when you look at uh Washington, one thing is interesting, you know, when it comes to like their blitz numbers, and people can argue about this, but uh they play a lot of those, you know, the five-man fronts that we see here in Philadelphia, and very often they just send those five guys. You know, you're going to get the three defensive tackles and both defensive ends, You know, quote-unquote those two uh, overhang edge rushers. All five will come. And some people will look at that and say, well, that's not, that's not really a blitz. It's just all the five guys that are up in the line of scrimmage all come a lot of them, I, I personally look at that as a blitz um, mm-hmm. I, to me like anything that's not your standard like four-man rush like I'm counting that uh, yeah. now you can get into trying to trying to divvy that up and these but, are
4: PFF numbers by the way Let correct. me couch that. yeah exactly. PFF gonna... will count that uh, exactly.
2: as, as a blitz uh, so I'm glad that you uh, that you uh, clarified that uh, PFF one of the, the companies that will clarify that as a blitz so um, you know to me I think when you look at uh, this Washington front, I mean, look, they, they lead the league in quarterback hits. They're top three, top five, and most of like the pressure metrics uh, in terms of getting after the quarterback. It hasn't always resulted in sacks in this small two-game sample. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at those players that you highlighted up front, to me it's the 2D tackles. Uh, I think that's a, where when they when they are humming, it's because Payne and Allen are going. Now, yep. Allen got hurt late in the week in practice before week two. He was added to the injury report, uh, was banged up. Didn't look quite the same last week as what he looked like in week one. Um, Deron Payne was – I mean, he was a a bat out of hell week one. He was ridiculously good uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I thought it was a little bit of a slow go and then turned it up in the second half against Detroit in week two. But at any point, those guys, you know, like they can take over a game. Literally, those two guys can really impact uh, an offense. So um, I think that's the, the one thing I would look at For me, it was interesting. Like last week, we talked, all right, well, what is Minnesota's plan going to be? Are they going to, in terms of trying to handle Jalen Hurts, are they going to uh, allocate the resources from the back end? Are we going to see more three-safety looks? Are we going to see Louis rolling down and, uh, you know, kind of uh, serving as a little bit of a QB spy? Or are they going to take it from the rush and say, all right, we're going to be a little bit less conservative or a little bit less aggressive. Maybe we pull back Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks. Uh, Maybe we take a Zedaria Smith And that's exactly what happened. It was more that, which was a little bit surprising to me. I thought it would go the other way. Um, But I think when you look at the way that Minnesota tried to play Jalen Hurts, uh, there was that one completion that that Greg highlighted in our conversation. It was the 19-yarder to A.J. Brown on third and 13. It was a big-time throw, and for a number of reasons, really impressive to see that from Jalen Hurts. But one of the things that's notable, it's third and long, it's third and 13, and Mike Quick did an outstanding job of breaking this down in Eagles game plan this week. He said, what did we see from Jalen Hurts in week one? It's third and long. He's winning with his legs. He's taking off and he's running. So Minnesota I was like, all right, well, third and long, Zadarius so Smith. Not even a mush rush. He essentially was the spy. He dro- he drops off, so it be- becomes a three-man rush. They're playing uh, zone coverage behind it, split safety zone. We're just a- asking him to carve us up, and that's exactly- Jalen stayed patient in the pocket, w- delivered between the numbers. AJ Brown on a deep curl route, uh, good good route by the way by uh, by AJ on that route uh, or on that rep. But um, to me, like I think that's more of what we'll see from uh, from Washington. I don't know that we'll see- they they do a lot of like the funky blitzes, it, 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 but it's weird like. Watching them, you know, last week with Minnesota, we talked and we were like, man, like uh, the Vikings, like they, they have an identity of what that pressure scheme was. Based off week one, this is what they want to do. I don't look at Washington and say that there's like an identity to the pressure scheme. Outside, They, they, they run a ton of stunts, a lot of TEs, a lot of TTs. They're going to do a lot from that standpoint. But all of their pressures, they're either like the straight, like five-man pressures, or they just throw in like – wacky, like, uh, designer blitzes where it's like, all right, we're going to drop both ends and send both corners. We're going to... Uh, but you, you see it once every couple weeks. Like, it's not, like, the same kind of theme time and time again. So from that end, as I, like, extend this, like, verbal diarrhea here... No. Uh, you know, For me, like, uh, the big thing is... Understanding, okay, it's, you're going to get those five man fronts and those five man rushes. You're going to, you're that's going to happen. Um, but then also just being prepared for the unexpected. Ex- expect the unexpected from a blitz standpoint.
4: And it's going to be interesting because week one, the Eagles, I think, struggled more with those unscouted looks, knowing that okay, Aaron Glenn, you know, what are we going to see? What's new for the season? Yep. You're going to have those from time to time in the course of a game. So how is the commu- communication going to be? I think the offensive line communication, obviously much improved in keeping those five guys together, going to be very, very pivotal there. So,
2: And if you can get the ball out, like there will be plays to be made. There are matchups you can win in that back seven. Uh, Washington just has not played well on the back end. A lot of miscommunication, a lot of busted coverages, uh, guys with eyes in the wrong places. So if, if they do send extra pressure, if they do send five – you know, they've got six in coverage, you got to make them pay.
4: What's very interesting, and this is something that we talked about in the pit, our office area here yeah. at the NovaCare Complex, a lot of this offseason was made about Jalen Hurts being in the same system for two years in a row, for the first time since high school. I almost want to reframe it. What's it like for Shane Steichen right. being the play caller now for pretty much over full course of the season since he took over, it seems like about midway of last season, what's it like for him having – the same quarterback back to back seasons, knowing what he likes, understanding his tendencies, you know, because you called this out that Steichen was phenomenal. Awesome. He you was outstanding. As I great mean, as Hurts was. Yes. As great as Hurts was, Steichen did a masterful job play calling.
2: I almost want to like go back and just chart like the first like 30, 35 plays. And when we talked, it was the the, the 30th snap of the day before the ball hit the ground. Uh, yeah, you know, for this Eagles pass game. Um, but I think when you look at it, it's like all right. Well, pistol, empty, RPO, play action, screens, tempo—like all this stuff shows up time and time again. Um, where, like, some people look at it, like, all right, well, that, that was that was all right, easy completion. All right, here's another easy, well-defined throw. All right, here. That that's good. Like that's good offense. I, I loved seeing that from the Eagles offense here uh on Monday night. Really well executed, really well uh, well designed. I think you got to give a tip of the cap both to obviously to Jalen and the and the players, but the coaching staff as well.
4: You mentioned the ball hitting ground the ground. The ball, the first one that hit the ground was a beautiful throw Crazy by Jalen Hurts, a yeah. layer throw to Dallas Goddard. It was it was gonna be a tough completion. It, yeah. But Jalen Hurts put it in the one place that he had to for number 80 to make a play, and That's it was a, sensational.
2: It, it's funny because we, you and I, were talking on like early Tuesday morning. We were going off like two, three hours sleep each, yeah.
4: and it was like.
2: All right, so he had five incompletions. It was like, okay, it was that first one that got her. It was the AJ <laughs> yeah. Brown. It was the like the deep ball to AJ Brown yes. in the two-minute drill uh, that was overthrown. There was the, the 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 interception that bounced off Gainwell's hands. There was another throwaway in there, and we we're like, what's the fifth? And we we're like, that was it. Like a, yeah, just crazy. Uh, outstanding performance from Jalen Hurts in this game.
4: So let's transition to the other quarterback. All eyes, Eagles fans, go want to see Carson Wentz Eagle, going against his former team for the first time. Doing so. With an NFC East rival. And the thing I want to point out with Carson Wentz is the bevy of weapons at his disposal. Now, before we get into that, got to talk about Jonathan Gannon. And he had a phenomenal game plan. We talked yes. about Shane Steichen and what he did, the masterful job he did calling the, the offense. Jonathan Gannon was pushing all the right buttons. All right, had an outstanding game going against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Uh, Kirk Cousins against the Blitz, 4 of 12. 22 yards and and the one touchdown, but two of the three interceptions came against the Blitz. So, as we look at this with Carson Wentz and how he has actually done quite well against the Blitz over the years, and I think back to his prime time with with the Eagles, last week Carson Wentz going against that Lions-Aaron Glenn, very aggressive defense, okay, Carson Wentz was 10 of 17, so 17, you know, pass attempts going against the Blitz. 10 of 17 for 91 yards and a touchdown, a 93 rating. So something that's going to be – that Gannon will obviously have to keep in mind when scouting. But as much as we talk about the great job that Jalen Hurst did distributing the football on Monday night, four receivers, 65-plus yards – Carson Wentz has done a great job of distributing the ball in Washington, and he has some playmakers he can get the ball in his hands to out there. So we all know about Terry McLaurin, okay? Terry McLaurin, uh, six receptions, 133 yards on 12 targets and a touchdown so far this season. His average depth of target is almost 13 yards, okay? So they are going to look for big plays from Scary Terry, okay? Jahan Dotson, the rookie who could really fly. the guy. Been great so far. Three touchdowns, 99 yards. He has seven seven completions on ten targets. Another big play threat. But his A dot is over 12 as well. So Carson Wentz is looking to push the ball. The guy who makes this a much more balanced approach and someone who the Eagles are going to have to account for is a finally healthy Curtis Samuel. Okay, Curtis Samuel, two touchdowns, 133 receiving yards. He's been the most targeted pass catcher in this offense. 20 targets so far, 15 receptions. The thing is, his A dot, his average depth of target, is just 5.1 yards. Okay, they're looking to get the ball to him in the flat out of the backfield, and then he gets the yards after the catch because he's getting 11.1 yards per reception. Yep. He's finding a way to get those yards after the catch. So the biggest thing here is this offense, this Commanders offense, they can score. Points in bunches. Okay, they can get explosive plays, and you know that Jonathan Gannon wants, number one for him is I want to ex- eliminate the X plays. I do not want to get beat deep. So how is he going to contend for that with, you know, you were going against a Minnesota Vikings team that had a star in Justin Jefferson and some good skill players. and Thielen, you know, obviously a noted route runner, but this is a much more balanced attack a much more, much more variety, much more depth that's going to be a challenge for this Eagles secondary and Jonathan Gannon going into this matchup. I know all eyes are going to be on Carson Wentz and how he performs, but I want to see how does the defense respond going against all of these playmakers. How do they deploy Darius Slay, James Bradbury? That's one of the things – that's number two for me or what I'm watching for this Sunday.
2: And, and another big part of that too, uh, c is like the what has been one of the knocks on Carson Wentz the last couple of years has been uh, his connection with running back or lack thereof of running backs mm-hmm. in the past game. When you look at the target tree uh, so far through the first two games for them, I mean, Antonio Gibson, he's second right now on targets uh, in that offense. He's got 12 targets. If you look on third down, who's their leading target getter on third down? J.D. McKissick. Uh, so I think when you factor in the backs, both of which will play uh, in this game, Gibson more on early downs, uh, uh, McKissick more on third down, you really get a sense of okay, you know they really like to be able to spread the ball around in this offense. To your point, uh, Scott Turner, he's North Turner's son, North Turner, longtime yep. offensive coordinator, had an established identity. Offensively, hey, it's going to be a lot of play action and it's going to be a lot of vertical push down the field which fits Carson Wentz's skill set very very well and I think through two weeks we've kind of see that come into play. They're top five in play action, they were number one in play action a year ago. And you, you talked yep. about the the average depth of target. Uh, they want to be able to push it to McLaren, to Dotson, uh to Samuel at Times. They'll run him vertically as well, but most of his stuff has been short uh closer to the line of scrimmage. I said this with uh with Greg uh, earlier this week. But Curtis Samuel leads the NFL right now in uh, wide receivers, in catches um, from the bunch and stacks. So they like they like to be able to get him, uh, you know, kind of protect him at the line of scrimmage, and you don't know where he's going out of these stacked formations. They're top five right now in bunch percentage. So I think looking out for some of those personnel groupings and, and how some of those formations. Watch where Curtis Samuel is deployed. As you mentioned, I mean he's got what did you, what did you say it was twenty targets. Yeah, and that's like by a wide margin he leads that receiving core uh, in terms of how often he's being targeted. So he's kind of an X factor in this game. But th- th- that's where I get into. Okay, well, it's not like oh, man, we got—we have to stop Justin Jefferson. And Jefferson lines up, uh, you know, all over the place. Yeah. Uh, to me, I think this is going to be just one of those, hey, everybody's got to do their job uh, in this game. And I think when you look at this bevy of weapons, uh, then it just now becomes, all right, like, D line, go get some pressure. You know, Chase Roulier, out, out for the season at yes. center for Washington. Uh, they were already working in uh, two new guards there, and Andrew Norwell, who's had, who's had some moments um, here so far through two games, and then Trey Turner, uh, who was uh, with uh, Ron Rivera down in Carolina as well as Norwell was. So two new guards, and you have the uh, the the backup center now. Who, by the way, like their backup center coming into the week, he was banged up last week. So that's one of the things I'm going to ask uh, Ben Standing later in the show as well. It's like. What's the planet at center uh, you know, as we sit here in the middle of this they week? Signed um, this they, they signed Nick Martin this week. They signed Nick Martin, but, like, is he, he going to be ready Like yeah. to, to make calls and stuff like that? Like, I can't imagine he's going to be. So, uh, I, to me, that that's going to be a fascinating matchup to watch, too. All
4: right, so number three, you, you know me for many, many years, Fran. I'm a pretty optimistic guy, pretty positive guy, and a lot to love about the Eagles in the first two weeks. So I'm going to come, you know, uncharacteristically for me with something a little bit on the negative slant here. We're going to talk about the penalties. Yeah. Okay. The Eagles, 18 called, uh, tied for third in the first two weeks of the season. Now, last season, this was also a bugaboo very early in the year for them. Through the first seven weeks of the season, the Eagles led the league with 64 called penalties. Okay? Now, whatever it was, the coaching adjustments on, on both sides of the ball, whether it was just, you know, Uh, getting acclimated to to the roster, finding his way as a first-year head coach. The Eagles were able to curtail that through the second half of the season, and they finished with 117 total penalties called. That was basically 16th, right smack dab in the middle of the league. So they were able to take a drop through the second half of the season. The big thing here is we talked about Jalen Hurts and the big throws. Probably the most beautiful throw of the night was when he rolled left, okay, which he hasn't really wanted to do. He typically is is someone who goes to his right. He rolled left. He threw a dime to the sideline for Quez Watkins. It was a tippy-toe catch at right the sideline. It was an amazing throw. And even Jalen reacted like he knew how good that throw was, but he saw the penalty flag, and the play got taken away. You know, those are the types of of moments that you're going to lose with these penalties. So it's going to be incumbent upon this team. You know, even if you're having two, three, four extra penalties a game, we're talking that could be two first downs per contest. It's just you're making it that much harder on yourself as an offense to dig out of a hole. Or you could be aiding the opposing offense. Because another thing I'm going to bring up here to end it is the Eagles and the Commanders, second and third respectively, in third-down percentage on offense mm. through the first two weeks of the season. So the Eagles, you know, these penalties haven't hurt because Jalen Hurts, whether it was his arm or his legs, has been able to bail out this team of third-down situations early in the season. But guess who's also been very good? And you remember the, the Super Bowl yeah, season. outstanding on Carson third down. Wentz was phenomenal. The Eagles were phenomenal on third-down. The third-long third numbers were better that than half insane. the league was in regular third-down. It was insane. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. Well, Carson Wentz is pulling those types of numbers. Again, through two weeks of the season, but – this is what we got to work with so far. So penalties, the Eagles got to find a way to curtail this problem and nip in the bud. Butt- they cannot allow these extra mistakes to hang over them because they don't want it to cost them a ball game.
2: To me, like, I look at it and it's one of those, like, this would obviously be a much bigger discussion if the Eagles were 0-2 as opposed to 2-0 and right now, right? And so right now, it's third that's why that's it's why third, third and one. it's why it's not a bigger point, topic of conversation. Yes. I feel like it would be bigger if the Eagles had lost some of these games. But I think when you look at, uh, you know, each penalty, each penalty individually, you know, some you're like, all right, like, like Devontae Smith's OPI the other night. Very questionable. Like, yeah, uh, you know, they're like, all right, like, well, what, what are we, we going to complain about uh, here on this play? The other thing you have to keep in mind, you know, the Eagles obviously one of the bigger RPO teams in football. They're, the, they're right now they're second only to Green Bay in terms of the amount of RPOs uh, that they have run so far this season. They are one of the biggest RPO teams. I believe the number one RPO team a year ago in 2021. So they've got that identity. Teams know that's the way that they're going to play. Well, just like teams are going to scout themselves and ju- or, and scout their, their opponents. You're also scouting the offici- officiating crews, and officiating crews also know what to look for with opposing offenses and defenses. If you're a defense that likes to play a lot of aggressive press man coverage, well, guess what? They're they're going to be keeping out for defensive holding. If you have an aggressive front with some players that maybe have a reputation uh, for getting a little uh, a little messy with the quarterback, they're going to be keeping eye out uh, for that. Teams are also going to get ahead of it and say, "Hey, we're playing this defense that uh, you know watch out for number ninety. This guy loves to to give you know give a late shot at a quarterback. Keep an eye out for this." Those kind of conversations have are, are being had leading into games. So, if you're the Eagles, like you just have to, everything's just got to be buttoned up from the, those illegal. It's especially those illegal men downfield penalties. Of there course. were a couple. that was like, man, like that's tight. Like that, there was there was one on Dickerson in particular, uh, really stood out to me. But there were others that legitimate gripes where you say like, yeah, like that, you're, you can't be that far downfield on those penalties. Now, it's not always on. The individual who is downfield sometimes that could be on Jalen sometimes that could be on a back you you have to make sure that all of those things you know maybe the receiver ran the wrong route or got held up and that's what caused Jalen to hold the ball and that then the 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 offensive line got out late like all just as a group they all have to be kind of buttoned up to make sure that those penalties don't happen
4: yeah and again it goes back to it's it's coaching it's it's the way the play is designed a lot that goes into it but one good thing, at least for the Eagles, Washington also very frequently. You mentioned this with Carson Wentz in the play action, also very frequent users of the RPO as well. Yes. So at least you'll be on the look for it for both offenses.
2: Yeah, they are uh, they are sixth uh, in RPO sixth so far uh, so far this season in terms of RPO percentage, uh, just under fifteen yeah. percent. The Eagles uh, over twelve, just, just over twenty three percent. So wow. uh, a big big jump. They're actually well. It's like Green Bay is at twenty six percent. Eagles are at twenty three. And then it's like a decent jump down to, to Carolina down at 18. So, uh, you know, the Eagles uh, definitely high up in that category. We'll see you, Mac. Uh, always great to, to chop it up with you here. Three and out. We're in and out here. We'll talk to you next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast.
0: Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk.
2: All right, let's move to the next segment now as so I welcome in Ben Fennel for some Chalk Talk. And, Ben, uh, obviously a big game here for the Eagles, first divisional game of the 2022 season. And uh, we spent a lot of time putting together this week's show, Eagles game plan, uh, preparing fans for this uh, Eagles-Commanders matchup. It should be a good one here, first one in the NFC East.
3: Yeah, it's always great to get into the divisional games and teams that know each other really well, uh, despite some new bodies and some new faces around. So, yeah. Uh... Breaking into the NFC action, NFC East action is always exciting.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And so, um, look, the, the first thing at the very top of the show, obviously, we still wanted to look back at, at such a big win Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. And I know you and I were so impressed watching the defensive performance. And um, I thought you summed it up best as we were kind of preparing for uh, my tape study segment, where it was really it came down to to two things. It was the the plan to to take Justin Jefferson out of the game and turn up the heat on Kirk Cousins, and that's that's exactly what the Eagles did in this one.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just the aggressive nature by Jonathan Gannon, dialing up some blitzes, having success with those pressures, and keeping his foot on, on the gas and saying, until they have an answer for it, we're going to keep dialing it up. So I love the aggressive approach, and then the overall game plan to make sure one of the league's top players, top receivers, top weapons in Justin Jefferson isn't the one to break your back. You know, if Adam Thielen wants to go for 200 yards, okay. You know, Dalvin Cook on the ground, runs for 100 yards, okay. But Justin Jefferson is not beating this team. And that was, you know, public enemy number one all week going into the game. And he saw a really good execution of, an, of a well-designed game plan. And a really aggressive approach by Jonathan Gannon. So it was, a, it was a great mix of the two.
2: And we were excited going back to watch the tape. Like, alright, well, what did they do on the back end in coverage? Because that could be tough to, to be able to decipher uh, watching live on TV. And it wasn't one just ma- magic coverage like we talked about earlier this week with Greg. They mixed things up and one of our favorite uh, tactics that they used was that, that use of the cover one double. You know, where you have that double team uh, on Jefferson. They did it twice in the game. So again, it wasn't the only thing. We saw plenty of zone coverage. You saw plenty of man uh really kind of mixing things up but obviously the pressure element was big in this one as well
3: yeah the cover one double is a hybrid combo coverage scheme where there's essentially two different coverage schemes going on cover one which is a single high safety a free safety playing in the back end and man to man across the board and then the other aspect of that is the double team and that was designed for justin jefferson often with darius slay as the underneath defender often falling into a kind of a trail technique off press coverage. And then Marcus Epps rolling over the top in kind of a half field uh, safety presence over Justin Jefferson. So that's your double team while mixing in cover 1 everywhere else so it's a hybrid combo coverage and it worked uh, to perfection.
2: Yeah, and that's the big thing is like when you come in and it's like all right, well if they just doubled on every third down or if they are we're just going to go cover 0 every third down. Well the you know the, the other team they can uh, figure out all right, this is the tendency, this is how we're going to beat it, but since they mix things up so well You're Kirk Cousins. You're not sure exactly what you're getting on a snap-by-snap basis. Darius Slay was always lined up to Jefferson's side, and they just had to kind of
3: figure it out uh, on what they were doing on a snap to snap basis. And remember, fans, every coverage has vulnerabilities. Every coverage has pros and cons. So while it may seem cover one double, well, that's undefeated. How could you possibly stop that? There's vulnerabilities within that as well, whether it's the cover one aspect away from Justin Jefferson or even just double-teaming Justin Jefferson. There are pros and cons in how to double-team. So the cover one double is a high low double team. I got news for you: routes left and right, east and west, can break open.
2: I mean, he was open on that on that second one. No Greg question. talked about yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no
3: question, where the cover or excuse me, the front and the pressure was able to get to yep. uh, Kirk Cousins before that route was able to uncover. But just a collective statement: there is no perfect defense. Do you call it at the right time versus the right, you know, offensive play design? It's all timing. It's all approach. It's all picking your battles, understanding tendencies but there's no perfect answer. On Monday night, it worked pretty well, but you can't just keep calling it week in, week out, drive after drive, down after down. There are pros and cons.
2: At some point, the X's and O's of it will fail, and that's why you need some of the Jimmy G- Jimmys and Joes to be able to step up, and that's what the Eagles got uh, in this one. Darius Slay, big play Slay, outstanding in this game. Wins the NFC Defensive Player of the Week on Wednesday, uh, and rightfully so, five PBUs, two interceptions, just an outstanding performance from from the First quarter on.
3: Yeah, him uh, you know, playing big boy ball, playing man-to-man coverage against a top receiver, handling his business, and then Jonathan Gannon mixing in pressure schemes to force that ball out and to only have to cover on the back end for two, three, maybe four seconds most with some errant throws as well. So yeah. good mix of him handling his business like a professional. And then also the scheme, putting him in pretty advantageous situations to win.
2: And then you factor in, you know, just going into this matchup now, we had uh, talking with Greg, like, all right, well, what, what do we want to address here with the commanders? You, you spent plenty of time last week studying them. Uh, we watched them together uh, off the, the week two win as well, uh, or the week two loss against the Detroit Lions. but. What was it about their pass game and, and kind of picking out this, this Curtis Samuel play uh, that really, you know, mattered for this matchup?
3: Well, and the funny thing is, as we kind of also look to get ahead of the Jacksonville Jaguars who played this Washington yep. Commanders team week one, and we were both blown away with this Jaguars defense. Long story short, Jags played the Commanders week one, and the Commanders moved the ball on them pretty well. Yeah. Particularly those opening drives where they really featured Curtis Samuel in the offense. Variety of alignments variety of pre-snap motions, uh, and a variety of concepts to feature him in the offense. Oh, yeah, on the other side, they have a pretty good twins duo and Terry McLaurin and John Dotson, too, that they work in combination with featuring Curtis Samuel. So those three-headed monster, that three-headed monster right there, is really the name of the game in stopping this offense. But I have Curtis Samuel absolutely underlined. You must know where he is on every play not just the beginning of the you know the formation but where he is in motion who he's hiding behind and how he's deployed into his routes uh, Curtis Samuel was really really uh creatively used in that offense I thought week 1 drive one just showed they were waiting all summer to kind of deploy it
2: Yeah it's funny because uh you know in a, in a minute we're going to talk about the Eagles offense performance this past week against Minnesota going back to that game against Jacksonville what do we see in those first few opening drives I mean plenty of bunch play action pre-snap motion, You saw empty sets, they're high up in RPO, a lot of just like easy, well-designed, quick-hitting plays, like let's get the ball out of Wentz's hands. And if we're going to take shots downfield, it's routes that complement each other to create space for their players to be able to get open. And I think when you look at the way that they're sequencing plays for Carson Wentz, they're, they're doing a really good job with their play design.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And Curtis Samuel, whether he's hiding in the bunch, using long motion or fast motion to kind of get a defense off balance into the snap or just pure alignment. He'll work out of the backfield, work out of the slot, work out wide. So, Curtis Samuel at number 10, you better know where he is on a down to down basis. No doubt.
2: And then uh, I guess we'll do that to segue now into the Eagles' offensive performance. You and I were texting during the game, and it's just blown away by uh, the play design and the way, again, just kind of going back to that term, the way they sequence things uh, up front. For, and that this is absolutely, for the entire coaching staff, just an outstanding job here against Minnesota.
3: Yeah, really impressive performance, complete game, all three phases. But on offense, was really impressive to see the obviously the run game set the tone like we're used to seeing here in Philadelphia behind that offensive line. And, you know, I think uh, we'd be remiss to not mention Jalen Hurts's performance at yeah. the bottom out there. No not doubt. only, you know, using his legs in the run game, particularly that one play that he cut back in and broke through some tackles just to show the play strength, but looking like a quarterback out there, particularly on third down. And, you know, he made some big throws. Uh, against a tough defense, and that static shell defense also presents pros and cons. So as much as some Vikings fans are saying, oh, Ed Donatel, why didn't we get out of that? There's pros and cons. They were very deliberate in what they wanted to take away to the Eagles, and the Eagles called their bluff and attacked those vulnerabilities. So um, really interesting approach for that Vikings defense, and the Eagles offense really showed – we can ebb and flow and kind of take what you're giving us as well.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, we, I talked in the last segment about that 19-yard completion to A.J. Brown, I think, hit on a number of those points, both with the way uh, the Eagles attacked, but also with the way Minnesota wanted to defend. Um, one thing that really stood out to us, I, I didn't get a chance to really talk about this with C-Mac in the last segment, those empty sets uh, that the Eagles deployed a lot of on Monday night, uh, a lot of it was geared towards finding ways to, to get Devontae Smith the football, and it worked really, really well. A lot of those choice routes in the middle of the field uh, found some of those advantageous matchups.
3: Yeah, and while we like empty for kind of clearing up some of the protection threats for the offensive line, also clears out some of your coverage responsibilities on the back end in the perimeter. So we call empty formations that defensive truth serum because it's so tough to disguise when you get spread out the way empties present. Well, now Jalen Hurts can kind of pick his matchups pre-snap. And how that defense deploys pre-snap will give you a lot of information about what's going to happen post-snap. And that's what you saw with Devontae Smith in the slot, linebacker over him, all intents and purposes, most of the time going to be zone coverage, Great. Now ebb and flow off that zone defender with choice and option routes. That zone defender is a little inside. I got news for you. We're breaking outside. That defender is a little bit deep. We're just going to stop right in front of them. Guys like Michael Thomas have made a living off of this That's it. type of offense. Uh, in the NFL, Cooper, so. C- Cooper Cup last year ran a, no a boatload of these. Yep. Yeah, it's just being on the same page with your quarterback and understanding we're going to make the defense wrong. Yep, and it's a beautiful thing to see when it's executed properly.
2: And I love that you know they ran on the first play, they get the completion. I think it was for five yards to Devontae left side. They came back and ran the exact same play. And what I love about it was that Harrison Smith was the safety to that side. He was he was on Devontae fast. He was the one who made that tackle in the five yard gain. Um, but he sees it the second time and he's like, oh, I'm I'm going fast. So Jalen gets off off of it, does a nice job creating. Finds it. Dallas got it for an 18-yarder. They went back to those plays time and time again. But I just love uh, just that even that two-play sequence from Jalen, where it's not just I'm not just being a robot out here and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drop back and chuck it. Uh, I'm gonna read the read this out and make sure that I'm not putting the ball in Hard's way.
3: You know, the Eagles don't have a encyclopedia, you know, cheesecake factory offensive playbook, right? You know, they have a pretty limited offensive design and they dress it up in a lot of different ways, different formations, personnel groupings, but they really have a foundation. So I love, and even defensively, this isn't some Rolodex defensive scheme where you have all these different calls and coverages, but on both sides of the ball, for them to see something work, and stick with it until it until they prove they could stop it. Yep. So whether that's the cover zero all out blitzes from Jonathan Gannon, or whether it's, you know, the empty sets and just going choice route to Devontae Smith. If they aren't gonna prove we're gonna change what we're doing or take away how we're getting beat. Keep calling it. Keep dialing it. And I love that kind of simple approach to, to football.
2: No doubt. Uh, real quick, just getting into this Washington defense. Um, you know, we'll talk with the with Ben Standing in the next segment just about some of the struggles that they've been having. Uh, trying to narrow down exactly what do we what, what we wanted to hit on. What do the Eagles need to be worried about going to this game? If you're uh, if you're uh, Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni, the coaching staff, what are you most worried about looking at this Washington? Well, they're
3: going to bring that classic Washington stout defensive front with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. Uh, and some some cogs up front there. They have very uh, smart and athletic linebackers. And Cole Holcomb, uh, David Mayo, Jameen Davis, former first-round pick, is long and rangy and athletic. Starting to work him into some more pressure schemes as well, yep. which uh, Greg Cosell gets into our enemy intel this week in Eagles game plan. Make sure you check that out. It's some patented Washington commander schemes as well with a lot of stunts and movement up front. ton of stunts, yep. Um, and the thing I kind of mentioned to Ike Reese uh, ahead of today's shoot, is, you know, anytime you take away a dude, and they have a dude in Chase Young, yep. it is just crushing to yeah, it. Yeah, House happens. of Cards. No question. So, they are, they are missing Chase Young out there. Uh, he is an elite player. Um, and they are not going to be a better football team with him off the field. Yeah. That's just kind of the nature of the game. But they have a really good front. They have some veterans on the back end, like William Jackson and uh, the Fuller brother, yep. K- Kendall or Kyle. Yep. Excuse me for not remembering which one of those. But... Um, yeah, they're they're a technically sound defense too, and they're ones that really don't hurt themselves.
2: It is uh, it is Kendall Fuller, uh, Kyle Kendall. actually
3: uh, tore his ACL uh, la- oh, last week, a- wasn't it in uh, in Baltimore? I've never gotten it. a good rhythm with those two and their names. Yeah, well, know?
2: it didn't help that Kendall was with Washington, and then left, and then came back, and it's like, oh, is this is this the original Kyle? Is Chicago?
3: And then it, and Kyle all, bounced around a little yeah, bit there all, after Chicago. All and, over. Yeah. They, they don't make it easy for us.
2: <laughs> uh, poor us on that on that, that end of it. But um, I think just looking at this uh, at this defense, it will be interesting to see where the Eagles are able to find uh, some of. Of these matchups Now, before we get into some of those matchups to find, uh, I know, you know, we've obviously going through all the numbers, going through some of these, uh, these metrics here. Well, is there one that stands out to you most, uh, you know, just kind of breaking this game down?
3: You know, I think we kind of touched on a lot of the defense. I know you set up some of the good stats against uh, uh, Kirk Cousins in our blitz. I believe 0-6 passing on yep. those cover zero looks, two interceptions, and you really saw that kind those free hitters rush his process. And, Throw some kind of uh, Hail Mary balls, as we like to call them. You know, real
2: quick, too, That's that, I think that's perfect, actually. The, I, the, it just crystallized my mind. When we talk about, like, pressure versus sacks, there were no sacks in those cover zero pressures. Yeah. All of them are outstanding plays, and like you said, two of them result in picks. So that's, again, just kind of getting into the difference between pressure and sacks. Why do you value pressure over sacks? Well, yeah, like, sacks are great, but that's, like, the next step to getting pressure. You don't get sacks without getting pressure. Outstanding pressure on all these cover zero rushes. No
3: question. It really forced him. He did not want to hold the ball and take those sacks in the negative play, so he got the ball out against free hitters, which is what quarterbacks do in this business, where yep. you make a miss with your legs. I think you know what you're getting with Kirk Cousins. And, uh, you know, the receivers weren't ready to make plays on the ball out there. But, you know, turning it to our side of the ball and Jalen Hurts and just what he's done as a passer, week one you saw a lot of uh, creation with his legs on third down. Um, I think mean, he's had five First downs with his legs week one yep, on third lines. down, if I'm not mistaken, Yep, but that sounds right. Third down on Monday night was really impressive. Six for six passing. In one of those was a third and 13 play. Yep, the 19 uh, That okay. really just blew me away in the offensive design, the confidence, him to stay in the pocket and be a passer and be a distributor. But Jalen Hurts right now has picked up 14 first downs on third down thus That's far awesome. in two weeks. Okay. Tied with Joe Burrow. For the NFL lead ahead of some other studs like Josh Allen and some some other guys that are have that dual threat ability, so I believe it's nine with his arm, five with his legs, 14 first downs on third down this season.
2: That feels like a tweetable uh, tweetable stat. It is. I feel like that, I feel like fans would like that one. That's a good one. Uh, to me, I just uh, watching Jalen and his continued development, his continued comfort in, in this offense is it's gonna be a lot of fun, man. Because hey, just the way that he the way that he played uh, this past week. Everything looked like he was in just pure command and very, very comfortable. We made that we made that comment uh, during the summer. It was like what was it, week three in camp? It was like I think after the first preseason game, before uh, the uh, the joint practices against Cleveland. Was like man, like Jalen just looks sharp. He just looks confident and comfortable and that's how he played uh monday night so um you know we'll so we'll see I have it's, a, it's a long season we'll see if he can continue it not every single game is going to look like what monday night looked looked like but uh just a great to be able to see that continued development from the franchise quarterback yeah absolutely all right so let's get into real quick the uh, the matchups that matter uh each of us kind of pick a matchup that we think could be most important to decide the outcome of this game
3: well i think we're realizing that this eagles offense is going to be well distributed And it was your thought immediately after the game, 450 yards of offense, and I don't think one individual player cracked 90. No. Yep. So you know, I just think that's what you're going to get. So this week, you know, I really want to see us take advantage of some line of some matchups down the middle. So against some linebackers, against some safeties, I think that might come at the expense of some quiet games from AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. Mm. I think there's going to be a big Dallas Goddard game, big Miles Sanders screen game, seams. You know, working some empty as well, but attacking more down the middle and over the middle of the field. Um, So I really think this is going to be a good game for Dallas Goddard. And just kind of as my brain is pushing through here, you know, the Green Bay Packers been one of the premier offenses under Matt LaFleur the past three seasons. I remember in 2020 to start the season, they were just rotating stars of the game. Devontae Adams had a 200 yards. Then the next week, Aaron Jones had a big game. And then Alan Lazard had a big game. Oh, and then Robert Tunyon had a three-touchdown game. Then MVS had his over-the-top game. Yep. And it was literally week after week after week of a different star. And I could really see that with this offense, that there's so many different ways to beat you. Yes. And if Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown go quiet, quote-unquote, one game, and you win, that's okay. So, you know, I know we left week one and we said, oh, we got to get Devonte Smith involved. No, we don't. Yep. He's going to be just fine. This offense is going to be just fine. This is the nature of the offense, that it's going to be well-distributed on a week-to-week basis, and that's a good thing Mm -hmm. to have.
2: Yeah, I I agree, I, and that's what – I mean, we talked about it daily uh, during the summer is just the way – all the different ways this offense can beat you, and uh, depending on what you want to try and do defensively, the Eagles, I think, are going to have an answer as long as everyone continues to stay healthy. So, uh, to me, that will be one of the big themes to watch over the coming months. Uh, I, I'm going to go on the other side of the football, and I think we will say this almost on a weekly basis, just looking at this Eagles defensive line going up against opposing offensive lines – but when I look here at Washington, I mean, you and I just got done watching Washington's week one performance against Jacksonville, watching that defensive front. That defensive front mauled Washington, especially on the interior. And they've had a lot of rotation while they just lost their starting center, Chase Roulier. I'm going to ask Ben Standing in the next segment. Uh, I'm interested to get his thoughts on who is actually going to be able to play center uh, here this week. So my guess is that it's going to be the uh, the veteran journeyman, Wes Schweitzer, uh, who started his career in Atlanta. So we've seen plenty of Schweitzer uh, in recent years. Um, he's kind of a, a swing guy guard center that would be my guess to got to win those matchups all day. You know you swing, I look at Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, uh, you look at Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, yeah you know, all those guys inside uh, starting to win some of these matchups against um, some some guards that have been banged up got centers that are – a new center that's going to be stepping in. Uh, They just signed Nick Martin, right, this week. I I can't imagine that he's going to be ready to play on this short of notice after not having been with the team in, like, camp or anything. Like, I just can't imagine that that will be the case. So, um, yeah, I I think that to me is a a matchup where the Eagles can really
3: take advantage. You know, I would love to see them, you know – Find a way to get Martin out there is is Trey Turner and uh, Andrew Norwell on the shelf. That,
2: no, I think so. Both guys are, are those are good. vets, those, guys those are fly, vets, yeah. yeah. So, but like, I know like Turner was hurt like all like for a good chunk of the summer, I think. Um, so like you know, he's been in and out of the lineup. I know uh, Sadiq Charles played a lot in that week one. We game, were just but, watching
3: like, their first two weeks and all sort of different bodies in yes. those three interior spots for whatever reason. Obviously, right. you watch the film, you don't always get the announcer report on injuries and penalties. and – you know, ejection. So shoe and fell and off. Yeah, you know, right. all that stuff that happens in the course of a game.
2: Yeah, so I to me, like winning that, that interior three, I think that's good. Honestly, like I thought Minnesota's interior three did a pretty good job against the Eagles up front uh, when you look at their two guards. And, and Bradbury held up a little bit better uh, than I thought he would. So um, to me, like, all right, looking into this game, that's a matchup to watch for yeah. me. So, uh, Ben, good stuff as always. Again, make sure you go check out Eagles game plan for all the analysis, all the, the work that Ben and I put in, put in to this show early in the week. Uh, Go check it out. It drops Fridays uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, all the Eagles' digital channels, and you can also check it out if you live locally here uh, on uh, NBC10, locally in Philadelphia, 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. That said, uh, Ben, we will talk to you next week. Well, great stuff there from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on an Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it, and that's exactly what we have here today from GetUpK8, who left a five-star review with this with this question, saying, "Hey, love the pod. I've been listening for a few years. It's great to listen to an X's and O show specific to the birds. One question: whose responsibility is it to make pre-snap calls and assignments to pick up the blitz, and what is that process or chain of command? So, uh, GetUp, great question." I can't exactly speak to what the process is here in Philadelphia. You know, every every team is going to approach it a little bit differently. What I'll say is, is that, depending on the offense and the personnel, it's typically going to be a quarterback and center combination, right? And so uh, with younger quarterbacks, you'll typically see the center take on more of that. If it's a younger center, you'll see hopefully a veteran quarterback take on more of that. Obviously a coach is going to be involved with that to a certain extent. There's only so much uh, that a coach can do from the sideline because at some point, I believe believe it's 10 seconds uh, before the clock hits zero, might be 15 seconds uh, before the clock hits zero, uh, the the, the radio signal to the helmet cuts off. And so – um, at a certain point, it becomes now on, on the quarterback and the offensive line. But typically what you'll see is that the center will kind of head that up and the quarterback obviously is going to have uh, a little bit of autonomy there in terms of changing plays. But when it comes to setting protections, checking out the defensive front, any kind of pre-snap rotation, typically your center uh, is going to have a lot to do with that. Jason Kelsey, known as one of the more uh, mentally sound, uh, assignment sound centers in football in terms of his football IQ and being able to identify things pre-snap, certainly he has a, a huge impact impact uh, on the Eagles but again I can't speak to exactly what that chain of command is here in Philadelphia but just in general uh, that is how those things are addressed pre-snap and, and when you get to the college level a lot of that stuff you'll see you know the quarterback goes under center or stands up under the gun and that, all right we're going to take a break let's take a look at the sideline and then you're going to get your calls in from the sideline um, not as often uh, that happens in the NFL more so it will be handled by the guys uh, out there on the field so uh, get up K8 great question thanks so much for that thanks so much for the five-star our review as well appreciate everybody that has left reviews in recent weeks here on the podcast feed that said uh let's get into faux focus excited now to catch up with ben standig from the athletic what's this matchup
5: look like from the other side it's time to find out in faux focus well,
2: excited to welcome back here to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast my friend Ben Standig. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Standig. does an outstanding job covering uh, the Washington Commanders for the Athletic.
5: Ben, welcome back to the show. Friend, man, good, good to see you. Week three, our, our, our side's going head-to-head. Uh, it's fun to talk.
2: No doubt. It's, it's going to be a really fun matchup because, uh, especially on offense, Washington has just been really fun to watch. They've done a lot of creative things, and that's a credit to offensive coordinator Scott Turner. And we'll, we'll start with him. I'm going to ask you, uh, as part of this exercise, put on your Scott Turner hat. Well, what is it that gives you uh, the most confidence going into this game? What is the biggest strength for this Washington uh, offensive attack?
5: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. I think both of these teams have had a similar evolution at receiver. Because obviously Washington's had Terry McLaurin now for a few years, but they really have had almost nobody else at that position. And considering Curtis Samuel didn't play last year, they effectively in one offseason have gotten Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dodson. And between those two and McLaurin, this may be one of the better Trio of receivers in in the league. They've been very dynamic, a lot of fun to watch, and the fact that they have Carson Wentz, you know, obviously I know Carson Wentz is a complicated story up there, but you know he is obviously a guy with a big arm can get the ball down the field, and that's the part of this offense that's really been intriguing to watch so far. Uh, and I think that part is pretty interesting. I'm actually curious what you think of Dotson as a guy who studies the draft because. You know, there was some criticism about that pick, particularly at number 16. He has looked fantastic all summer into this season. He's poised. He's a good route runner. And combining him with McLaurin and then Samuel's uh, quickness and speed is a really good uh, group.
2: You know, I thought watching Jahan Dotson uh, the last couple of years at Penn State, there were a lot of similarities, and they weren't the exact same player because I think they do it in slightly different ways, but uh, to last year's Eagles first-round pick and and Devontae Smith, you know, both have kind of that, like, smaller, slighter build, uh, and that was one of the big knocks on Dotson was his size, um, but just catch everything thrown their way, outstanding ability to finish at the catch point, and then uh, that inside-outside versatility, and that has shown up uh, here for the Washington Commanders in this offense is his ability to kind of just plug it where it leaks in that pass game and can do it uh from a number of different ways i think he and mclaren really mesh well together and then obviously you throw in that x factor there in curtis samuel coming into the season obviously i know they had high hopes for samuel when they signed him a year ago in free agency and those soft tissue injuries a year ago uh really kind of put a hampering on that but was the expectation that yeah he's going to hit the ground running uh, just in week one because i know like even the injury stuff like lingered through the offseason right
5: yeah. I mean, last year was obviously a bit of a mess. And then we get to this offseason and everybody's saying he's good to go. But at the end of like OTA mini-camp, he was being rested a bit. And then at the start of training camp, he was as well. Ron Rivera proceeded to tell us it's all part of the plan. Don't, don't worry. Relax. And Samuel, the same. And to Samuel's credit, he was able to make it really through almost every single day of practice uh, during camp for the last, you know, two to three weeks. And he's looked good so far. We'll see what happens over the course of, of, of 17 games if they had a nurse and through the off season it makes you wonder but he's looked really good so far he's been spry he's been he's been a, a really solid and you like you said the x factor i think that's really what he is you can line him up in so many places they gave him four carries in the opener um he had m- as many touches in week one as he had in uh any game in his career uh so they're clearly going to use him a lot and it, it's a really interesting variable to have him with all, all these other pieces.
2: So I've got two injury-related questions for you when it comes to this Washington offense before we look over at the defensive side. Uh, the first one I think is most topical for this game, and that's uh, the, the Commanders losing center Chase Roulier last, last week to a season-ending injury. So he's out, obviously, for this matchup. What do you think the plan is at center? I know they signed Nick Martin, uh, Wes Schweitzer on the roster, but he got injured last week uh, in the, in, during practice, right? So like, uh, what, is the, what is the thought here and what center could look like as we sit here? Middle of the day, Wednesday, we can couch that. Obviously, things could change here late in the week
5: yeah i mean i think schweitzer is the answer if he's uh, able to go he's the guy he filled in at times last year at that spot and you know chase ray was missing early in training camp as he was recovering from a, a serious leg injury last year. So Schweitzer was playing some center early on with Carson Wentz. So okay. that would be the plan. I would assume Nick Martin would be potentially something later down the line since he just got here this week. Uh, Wes Martin, no, no relation, I don't think, um, no. who, this, who this team had a few years ago, brought him back off waivers. This offseason, he would be the guy I would imagine if Schweitzer couldn't go, who could fill in. He's been around a little bit, but you know. Um, so, so that would be the answer. Um, but yeah, their interior offensive line has been really beat up all summer. Both their guards, Trey, Trey Turner in particular, missed most of camp with a quad injury. Andrew Norwell missed a little bit of time. I think there were a lot of questions about the guards in particular coming into the yeah. year. Now, factoring in, in Ruye, and I think the middle of that line is really going to be where to watch in this game.
2: Uh, and the other big thing, we talked earlier this week with uh, Greg Cosell, just that this run game just has not been able uh, to get going. Obviously, they've been factoring in some uh, some of those reverses and end-arounds and the Jets and, and those have hit, but uh, just in the, the typical base run game with Antonio Gibson just has not been able to get going. The rookie third-round pick, Brian Robinson, I, he's not going to play uh, here in this game, will be a factor, hopefully, uh, you know, for Washington's sake, when the Eagles play this team later down the road. but just, you know, what's the state of uh, Brian Robinson at this point in terms of uh, his recovery, just an unfortunate incident that happened with him just uh, on the eve of the season?
5: Yeah, it's remarkable that he's able to, I mean, look, obviously he gets shot twice in the leg, and we're thinking about things beyond football. The fact that he's been able to make a, you know, A good recovery from that just from a human perspective and now he's out there on the practice field on the side he's not working with the with the team just yet but he's but we see him out there he did a little light running today at practice you could see just going from field to field type of thing uh Mm -hmm. so i think it sounds like they're hopeful he'll be able to return pretty quickly after he, he has to stay on the uh injured list for the first four games i think his piece is critical to this offense because they drafted him for the specific reason i believe because Antonio Gibson is that dynamic player, but he's not a consistent down to down between the tackles, early down kind of a back. And they last year, ball control was when they had a ball control offense, that was the best part of their their team. And when you look at the uh, what's happened, even in these two games, they've been shown they can score, but they've been very inconsistent. They didn't even pick up a first down last week until midway through the second quarter. And I think getting that Brian Robinson element on the ground will give them a sort of like a baseline to work with. And then Carson Wentz whatever he's doing the ups and the downs that go with that won't be as big of a deal so i think it's something they're missing right now they're gonna have to try to figure out how to just sort of work around it obviously gibson and jd mckissick are you know good players but they're just different types of running backs
2: that's why I'll be fascinated when Robinson is re- inserted back into that lineup. You know what are the, the House of Cards element to that in terms of uh, Gibson. Like, he, he, look, this is a guy that was a, a receiver for the majority of his time at Memphis. Do they find creative ways to be able to use him in that offense? We know McKissick is, is, has that versatility as well. You factor in Samuel, and now uh, this can get really messy from a defensive standpoint. Preparing for an offense that has all those movable chess pieces. So uh, I'm fascinated to see what that looks like. Uh, maybe they, we'll talk about this the next time these two teams play uh, in yep. November. Uh, uh, now I ask you to put on your special uh, your, your Jack Del Rio hat here. What is the biggest strength for this unit going into this game? I know it's been a little bit of a rocky start, uh, but what gives you most confidence in your ability going into this matchup to win it?
5: I mean, I'm not sure. To be super honest, like, <laughs> like, 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 normally you would just easily say the defensive line, right? Yeah. Because you've got even without Chase Young, who's still on the who's still on the, uh, the pup list, you still have john allen a pro bowler last year deron Payne, who's gotten off to a really good start and montez sweat an edge rusher who's, who's all first round picks and and i think that is still the case but john allen's a little bit banged up he had a groin injury yep. in week one was definitely not 100 last week they have lost a ton of depth already this year with their two backup and d- defensive tackles fedarian mathis who's out for the year and daniel wise who's i'm going to guess will miss this week after with, after suffering an ankle injury last week they are paper thin inside and you know the Backing up, replacing Chase Young, some 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 decent players, but nobody that's like kind of got the wow factor. So I would still say it's the defensive line. But when you're when you're averaging when opponents are averaging nearly eight yards a game a carry, I should say on the ground, it's hard to point to the, to the front seven and say that feels like a strength. I think they have mm. more questions in the back seven. But you know, if if Sweat Allen and Painter are on their P's and Q's, they obviously are pretty formidable.
2: What? Who, uh, look, the defense hasn't gotten off to a great start yet. Locally, who is catching the most heat? Like, is there like an area where you're like, uh, this is where the fans, all the vitriol, is kind of going? Uh, what what is the discussion right now about this defense locally?
5: Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's been a lot about Jamin Davis, their first round pick last year. Now, I wouldn't say that it's all on him by any yeah. stretch as to why it, it's been a problem. But Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera have said, "Hey, we need more for, from him. He's still making too many sort of you know young young player mistakes, and they need more from him." Part of the reason they need more from him is their linebacker depth is non-existent, in my mm. opinion. Like if Davis or Cole Holcomb were to miss any time for sprained ankle, or whatever, I, I don't know who they would put in that you would even say is like a v- truly viable uh option. And so Davis has been getting a lot of heat. And I think really when you look at this defense, obviously in 2020, statistically this is a really good group. But yeah. last year they create they cratered uh across the board. And that yet despite all that. The team didn't make any changes with the coaching staff and basically brought back the entire defense other than Landon Collins, who moved on and a couple backups, more or less 10 of the starters are back. So I think when it turns like catching the heat, it's kind of just like collectively like, wait, what's what's happening here? You guys had these issues last year, didn't make any big changes. And now it's looking a little bit like the same thing over and over again. So that, I think it's sort of the collective heat that Del Rio is obviously getting some. That's what happens with coordinators. Sure, I'd say Del Rio and Davis are the two that are sort of mostly in the conversation right now.
2: Uh, And you mentioned Ron Rivera earlier. If you are Ron Rivera, what what is keeping you up at night this week? What's the biggest concern for Washington going into this matchup against the Eagles?
5: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the defense, and obviously they just – you know, so it's one thing for Detroit to have scored 36 points and rack up over 400 yards, but there were like several big plays at where you're just like so a, a busted coverage play uh, with Ar- amon St. Brown that went for 49 yards, a, a, a jet sweep with St. Brown. That it's one thing that it gets over 50 yards, but it's like the defense looked like they didn't even see that he had the the, the ball and that type of thing. Those those miscommunications. That is where there was a lot of frustration at the beginning of last year. The fact that it showed up again i think has got to be somewhat worrisome and like i said that R- rivera has said he doesn't think it's schematics he think the guys just have to play better they don't have like i said a lot of depth anywhere that that i would say well fine if this guy's not working bring in somebody else um that's the part i think it's got to be a bit worrisome that you're still having some of these same issues that have come that happened last year as well so uh, that to me would be his his biggest worry
2: Interesting. Yeah. Just something to watch here for sure. For certain, uh, with an offense here in Philadelphia that has created a lot of big plays, a lot of chunk plays, uh, in different ways over the last couple of weeks, uh, most pivotal matchup, uh, for Sunday afternoon in your mind, Ben, uh, what, what's one of these one-on-ones that uh, really could dictate the outcome of this game?
5: Yeah. I mean, I'll just stay with the, the, the the defensive side. Like I think Washington, they may get cam curl back this week. They're, uh, uh, very versatile safety. He's been out the first two games with a thumb injury. He's been cleared to practice. So, if he can play, that's going to be a huge element for them, both in terms of stopping the run and also against uh, Dallas Goddard. That said, opponents the last two, the first two games have done a very good job of getting their receivers in one on one matchups against linebackers or other defenders who are yeah. not equipped to deal with, uh, you know, a Devontae Smith or an AJ Brown, hypothetically. Now, Washington has good corners, but if they can scheme it up, whether you're having to go Washington's Linebackers or even safeties are going up against some of these other players. Goddard might be one to watch. That would concern me based on what we've seen so far. That's on top of the fact that, again, they're averaging, opponents are averaging nearly eight yards a carry on the ground. And last I heard, you guys are pretty good on, on, on running the ball. So that's sort of the obvious one across the board. But I, the isolate, getting those big chunk plays in the air by isolating receivers against linebackers and safeties, I think it's something to keep an eye on.
2: Just outstanding insight from Ben Standing. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Ben Standing, not just for coverage of the Washington Commanders, but uh, really with the insight around the NFL or the NFL draft, uh, really a year-round coverage. Ben, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon.
5: Fran, you the man. Thanks a lot.
2: All right, so great stuff there from Ben Standing. A great follow on Twitter, like I said at the end. Uh, let's get into uh, the last part of the show. And again, we do a Eagles game plan every single week. John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. Uh, and we are going to, you know, that's a 30-minute show. So there's only so much we can fit into that. Due to time constraints, I couldn't squeeze every single piece of analysis that we shot for that for this week's show, but all the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, some quality analysis here from those guys, well, I saved it all just for you. Let's go to uh, some of the leftovers from Eagles game plan.
0: Jalen is getting better each week and the coaches are uh, entrusting him with a lot more in this offense to do. You think about the way Detroit played him last week on third down, a lot of man coverage. So I kind of expected Minnesota to come back and play more zone this week, force Jalen to have to sit back there and go through progressions and, and, and then deliver the football. He did that with precision and really decisive throws to get the ball distributed throughout the offense. Not just one guy, he's finding guys all over the field. I thought Jalen was flawless in the first half of this game last week. Really, the best performance he's had as an Eagle.
1: So you play zone, and he wins when you play zone. When you choose to play coverage against him, the week before they play a lot of man, and he's beating you playing man. It really shows you the progression of Jalen and this offense.
0: Yeah, if you get this Eagles offensive line playing the way they did last week versus Minnesota, this should be pitch and catch for this Eagles offense. You know, Washington, you can really tell that they are missing uh, Young, Chase Young, the number two overall pick from a few years ago. They don't really have that difference maker up front. I like both of their tackles, Allen and Payne, the Alabama brothers. They can do some damage, but not enough.
6: Now, in any given week, that talent can be really difficult to play against, particularly the defensive front. But through two games, it's not really played out that way. They've given up a lot of yards and a lot of points. But as I said, they certainly can be assertive, particularly up front, particularly rushing the quarterback, and we have seen that. Now, that defensive front has two really good tackles in Payne and Allen and an excellent edge rusher in Sweat. They also have a linebacker in Jamin Davis, whose role has diminished a bit, but he's an excellent pass rusher, and that is the way he's likely to be used.
7: And Jalen's had a big pass play, 50-plus yards in each of the games, so when you can hit all levels of the defense, A.J. Brown over the middle, the
1: deep ball, how challenging is that for a defense, especially like Washington? Well, Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator down there, has to be scratching his head and really trying to figure out, what do I do to slow down this offense? Because it has such variety. All of these guys can make plays. Shane Steichen's now understanding the strengths of all of these guys. And when you watch this offense, you just don't know where to go, where to put most of your personnel to try and slow this offense down. And then you add in the fact that the quarterback is a dual threat.
0: It, it's The Eagles right now are going to be difficult to slow down because they don't mind running the football if that's what you want to force them to do. We have enough running backs along with the quarterback to be effective in the running game, and now you have the weapons in the passing game that if you want to load up to try to stop the run, Jalen is operating back there with pure confidence. He knows where he wants to go with the football, and more importantly, he's delivering with accuracy every time he throws it so. And the Eagles have the most yards
7: per game in the NFL right now. They're the second-best rushing team, just like they were last year. They were the top team. When you have the RPOs, when you have the zone read, how much does it open up things for Miles Sanders when your quarterback can run like that?
0: It opens up everything. It makes everything so much easier. I think back to, you know, offenses like whether it's the Buffalo Bills offense or it's the Baltimore Ravens offense, where you have a quarterback that can beat you with his legs and is a smart runner. By the way, he's a smart runner when he decides to go ahead and take off. It makes it difficult because now you have to decide, am I going to devote a spy, an extra defender for the quarterback that takes somebody out of coverage? And Jalen has the confidence to be able to extend plays where he has the option to throw the ball that if you decide to come up to tackle him, he's hitting guys down the field uh, because he's able to keep his eyes down the field I mean listen when when you get a quarterback in the offense that is operating through the air and on the ground like the Eagles have been uh, I've yet to see the defense that's going to be able to slow both of those aspects down
6: now one other point here we know about Terry McLaurin He's another player who can line up outside and in the slot. Did some major damage last week from the slot in the second half. But we cannot forget about Jahan Dotson, the rookie out of Penn State. He has been very impressive through two games. He can be a vertical threat as he was last week, and he can catch the ball short to intermediate. So this is an offense that brings a lot of weapons to the table and presents a significant challenge for the Eagles defense.
7: All right, how about Avante Maddox, his interception? How do you think Avante has played in the first couple weeks? We've talked about Slay. James Bradbury has been good. How
1: about Avante? I think he had a real bounce-back game on Monday night because there are a couple of plays in the first game against Detroit that I thought he missed, missed on a tackle that he should have had. But Avante Maddox, one of the best slot corners there is in football. I don't care where you go, you're not going to find much better play than he gives you week in and week out, and he played an exceptional game on Monday night.
0: He's a playmaker out there. The fact that you got Bradbury and Slay on the outside, you know, Avante at times is going to get uh, a matchup to where he's going to get some some opportunities to make some plays on the football as well. And I love the fact that he's a competitor. He has that fierce, uh, fiery spirit, and uh, he's out there trying to make plays, trying to make something happen. I was happy to see him get an interception uh, last week.
7: We've seen a lot of five-man fronts from Jonathan Gannon. Hassan Reddick, you know, coming from both edges, do you think Hassan is going to get to that quarterback? He wants those sacks. Do you think he's gonna get to the quarterback? It's a little bit of an adjustment
0: for him. Oh no, eventually he will. This guy knows how to rush the passer. You don't have back-to-back double-digit sack years and not know how to get to the quarterback. And there are times where you're gonna just get there and I mean, and the quarterback gets rid of the football. You just have to stick with it, stick with the scheme. Don't get outside of the scheme trying to do things that only benefit you. Stick with the scheme and the sacks will come. And when they do, they typically come in bunches. He just needs to continue to play with the effort. that he's playing with and being a part of the whole scheme as opposed to saying, I have to go out there and get mine.
2: Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up again digitally on Fridays across all Eagles channels or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday, NBC10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your support here of this show and also the rest of our podcast offerings here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for everybody here at the Novacare Complex. I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.